The following is a Teatro del Pueblo production. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our dogs bark Spanish lullabies. The Mississippi surprise is always sneaking in the heart. There are more ways to say, Hey, frío! You betcha! Than you ever thought possible. But the warmest place is where the heart is. Where the heart is home. This is our home. Welcome to Coco's Barrio, where our Hola, this is Coco's Barrio, part three, Gentrified This. Today we have great music and stories from our musical guest, Nicholas Carter. Dessa is also here, talking about her life and musical projects. Y yo, 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 su servidora, Coco. Hola, hola. Bienvenidos. This is Coco's Barrio Gentrify This, Part 3. We hope you have enjoyed Parts 1 and 2 of the series. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and check out the parody created and performed by Teatro del Pueblo Acting Troupe, La Casa del Chisme, a story of gentrification. Today, we have an exciting show with two guests. We will talk with Dessa and hear about her projects, her favorite places, and how she got started in hip-hop, among many other things. But first, we'll embark on a journey with Nicholas Carter, who will transport us to magical places with the sounds of nature and imagination with his Paraguayan harp. But first, a message from our sponsors. Our next segment is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we give you the power to build a global community that works for us. Every like you give. By finding out as much as possible about Every you. Post you share. We want to unite the people Every of Earth. You make. Every pick you take, I'll be watching you. Collecting your data to solve the riddle. Oh, can you see? You belong. One click at a time. Someone hacked the platform. With every crack you made. But we are still friends, right? Every purchase made. I'll never unfriend you. Every site you click. Never. Wherever you go, even when you're offline, I'll be watching you. I always see you. Every like you give. Every post you share, every friend you make, and I'll be watching you, you. Every like you give, every post you share, every friend you make. I know you better than you know yourself. You're welcome, Facebook. I'll be watching you. And as promised, Nicholas Carter is here with us bringing inspirational compositions blending harp sounds from the southern and northern hemisphere. Let's see, Nick. I can hear from your music that nature is an essential theme in songs like Summer Breeze, Passing Storm, and Rainbow. You get inspired by nature. And I know that up next, we're about to listen to The Rain 
La lluvia. La lluvia. ¿Qué nos puedes decir de la lluvia? Eh, la lluvia, ¿no? The rain. This is pretty much one of my first compositions mm -hmm. in the harp. It's very much based on the musical ideas that I had learned as a Paraguayan folk harp player. Mm -hmm. My house had one of those kind of metal roofs. Yeah. And when it rained, every single drop that fell just made a really clear sound. Oh, yeah. And when it poured, it just was like a loud sound on your roof. You know, it's very different from the roof. Yeah, I grew up on one of those. It's mesmerizing, right? Yes. Really, the song was a memory of being under the rain, but inside your house. <laughs> <laughs> Happy feelings. When it rains in, in Paraguay, it, it can get pretty intense. At some points, I make the sound of the thunder. Oh, nice. When I just kind of go through the strings really fast in a kind of glissando way, I'm just trying to imitate the, the thunder. All right, let's listen to it.
Wow, that was very enjoyable. We will have more from Nick Carter later in the show. Now, I want you to meet our guest. She's a rapper, singer, writer. She's been part of the collective Doomtree and recording touring artist since 2005. She's half Puerto Rican, and we're going to talk about her life and music. With us, Dessa. Bienvenida, Dessa. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Bienvenida. Hello. Um, so I prepared a few topics that I am sure our audience would love to hear you talk about. And I hope that would give us a glimpse into your life and your art. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. My first topic is Minneapolis. I know you were born here in Minneapolis, South Minneapolis, right? Yes, you got it. Mm -hmm. What does Minneapolis mean to you? I know that you lived in Brooklyn, New York, other places, and you've traveled a lot for work and for pleasure. And why you're coming back to Minneapolis? Is it special <laughs> for you? Yeah, Minneapolis for me is very much still a home base. So I grew up in South Minneapolis, like you mentioned, on the corner of 44th Street and 44th Avenue, which was an address that as a kid I loved. And, you know, I don't think I would have identified as much as the, at the time, but Minneapolis is very much like an indie artist, indie music town. And not every town is. Maybe because there's no huge presence from like a major label, you know, they're, they're not like scouts at concerts from huge, you know, huge companies like Sony looking to sign new artists. Maybe because of that, artists end up building the infrastructure that they need. And when I say that, I mean, like, you aren't only hoping that someone who is powerful wearing a suit will discover you. You are also, like, combining with your friends, combining forces to just, like, go to the copy center and make flyers for your show. And you... Put, figure out how to promote concerts, how to release music, how to screen print a t-shirt, like all of that kind of stuff ends up being really uh, DIY, do it yourself. And so there's a really strong community here. And yeah, I, you know, I've, one of the best things and sometimes the most challenging things about being a musician is traveling a lot. Um, so I feel like now at this point in my career that I've been doing it for many, many years, I have a better sense of like how Minneapolis is the same or is different from other cities. Do I love the winter? I do not. I did not love it as a kid and I do not love it as an adult. But um, there is there is a lot to love about the city. And how is it different from when you were a kid than now? Oh, my gosh. Thinking about that lately, that it's almost like when we say the word home, we always think of a of a place or we think of being in the company of certain people. But I think for a lot of us, like the home to me of like Minneapolis in the 80s, you know, late 80s and 90s, like that's what I associate with home. Home is also a time, at least your childhood home. Yeah. Has it changed? It's changed a lot. I think Uptown, which is the neighborhood in which I live, you know, always seemed so artsy and there was um, kind of, you know, indie and artisanal stores. And now I admit it, there's a lot more condos. It's like the yeah. center for where, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. like the center for where arts happen does change. And urban designers who are more educated on that topic than I am know exactly how renting mar markets affect that, right? Where the apartments are cheap, the creatives go to live. And then when all the creatives are there, it becomes hip and the new coffee shops move in and rent becomes expensive and the creatives have to find another place to They have to, to find another place to create. Yeah. Yes. It, it seems like it expanded. Yeah. 
And also, I mean, obviously, you know, Minneapolis was the center of national attention with race awareness, conversations about power and institutionalized racism, you know, with the murder of George Floyd. So I think in the past two years, Minneapolis is asking, almost everyone in Minneapolis is asking themselves, like, what is this city? What has it been? What could it be? What is it now? How do we get there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we are aware of that existed in our city. And But how is it that new? I mean, were we living in a perfect world before or were we blind and we just right. didn't care? It seems like everybody just, oh, yeah, by the way, this is a problem. Yeah. And I think also, you know, becoming more aware, you know, in the past 10 years or 15 years about how segregated um, the the city is. I knew that like as a kid, I was, I was bust as part of an integration effort. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, as a child, you don't really understand the significance of that fully. Right. Right. But man, am I grateful that I was now? Cause I, I think now it's possible to sort of like peek over an imaginary fence into the hypothetical universe where that didn't happen, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and how much more complicated these challenges would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And and so what other places are dear to you? I, I, I know you're half Puerto Rican. Have you been uh-huh. to Puerto Rico? I have. And I'm heading there in two weeks from my birthday. I'm very excited. Um, nice. So, you know, I don't have like immediate family in Puerto Rico, but the places mm-hmm. that, that, you know, I visited with my mother are like Rincón and Ponce, uh, just a little bit of time in San Juan, which is um, a city that I'm looking forward to spending more time. Oh, yeah. But great. I would also say New York. You know, my, my mother was New Yorican. Right. Is New Yorican. And so for me, like connecting with that side of my family was very much about going to New York. And then there was a place called Spanish Camp, which was bungalows of Spanish-speaking people in the forests, essentially, of Staten yeah. Island, where all of these families would congeal in the, yeah. in the summer times. And they, you know, mounted speakers to the light posts to play salsa in the streets and kids were running around. So those are some of the memories that I have of, of like early New York, you know, when I was a kid and still visiting as opposed to living there. Yeah. Nice. Is Sweden an important part of your life? I know that you um, you had a friend when you were little. I'm so impressed. <laughs> I'm so impressed, Coco, by this research. Yes. Wow. So my best friend when I was uh, like in grade school. Yeah, you were 14. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I met her. I met her when we were in like, you know, little, like like fifth grade or something. I liked I had like a friend crush on her right away. Her name was Maria. And she was, she moved from Sweden when she was, gosh, I want to say maybe like six or seven here. And she didn't have any English language skills yet. And she was toe-headed, which was something that I'd never really seen before. You know, that just like white blonde when she was a little kid. And she was sort of this unicorn looking creature to me who didn't speak any (laughs) English. And we became close friends. She is a a very quick mind, learned uh, not only language skills, but but all variety of things very quickly. And I w- was just super close to her. She was one of like the closest, yeah, childhood friendships that I had, hands down. And so you you worked at that time just to pay for your ticket? I really was. So when her family announced that they were moving back to Sweden, this was like a heartbreak moment. I mean, this was like, you know, horrible. We'd learned sign language so that we could sign into one another's hands. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, I got a gig at, at the Dairy Queen at the Ball of America when I was 13. 
and um, yeah, helped, you know, pay my way to go and spend the summer with her and later returned several times. So yeah, I really, I really, I do like Sweden. <laughs> Umeå in particular, which has like a really Northern accent. Yeah. Uh -huh. Did you learn uh -huh. to speak a little bit of Swedish when you were there? A little bit. Yeah. My first phrase was, which means like, do you think, you know, like, do you think he's cute? Which of course is the most <laughs> useful phrase at 11 years yeah, old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So you were traveling with your, with your friend. You wanted to go see her. Um, you were a teenager, you know, you were like 14 years old. You always wanted to travel. You, you loved your independence. I find that fascinating because that made you look for things to, to dream about what you wanted to do, meeting people and experiencing new things. How has that influenced what you do now? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that for me, the love of travel and the love of language have been my longest, most stable relationships. And for travel, I mean, sometimes that can sound kind of bougie, like, oh, I love to see a new hotel. And that's fun. But what I mean is like, I want to try to better understand what it means to be a human being who's alive. And I happen to be born in one body, in one city, in one place, in one economic status. So I think the only way to get a fuller picture of what it means to be human is to trade stories with other human beings and try to yeah. find the points of overlap and the points of departure too. So yeah, that's been a love of mine lifelong. You sure. kept a journal when you were traveling? You know, I do. I, I keep really lousy journals. For me, I think more than a journal, it's, I, you know, I still have like the same email address for a really long time. So I can look <laughs> at the old correspondences that I sent oh, to, yeah. to people far away. Yeah. That's precious. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have the uh, AOL.com? God, I have Yahoo. It doesn't it doesn't win you any cool points, but it's it's convenient for the nostalgic late night rummaging for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so you basically decided that you wanted to be a writer, right? That's how you started to rap. You you started to sing your essays. <laughs> is that is that true? Yeah, I think yeah, and I kind of wound up on stage in part because I wasn't getting too much traction on the page. So I very much wanted to be a writer uh, in, a, in a genre called creative nonfiction, which is a very poorly named genre because it sounds so boring. But the, the content is cool. It's like true stories that are told with all the same artistry and comic timing that you would you know hone for like a novel description. But it's all true stories. And I wasn't getting anywhere with that. I was like sending away these essays and never hearing back or, you know, six or nine months later getting a rejection slip. So a friend of mine, after a really bad breakup, took me to a poetry slam and she said, I think you could do this. And I was like, I think I could do this too. And so, yeah, the next month I went with some material prepared and I won the slam thought I was very cool and then learned very shortly thereafter that all the best poets were on tour. So it was just like competition was scarce that night, which is why I won. <laughs> yeah. And, and music took over. Yeah. And then right? pretty much. Yeah. And then at that time, like the poetry scene, the performance poetry scene in Minneapolis and the hip hop scene were intersected in a lot of ways. You know, artists from both forms would go to events of the other. And so a rapper attended one of the poetry slams and saw me perform and asked if I might want to try to do some of that 
rhyming material over over a beat. And for me, that was the the entry. How long ago was it? Almost 20 years. Oh, definitely over 15 years. Wow. And how is it to be a female rapper? I, I know there are other female rappers in the industry, but I kind of think that we are outnumbered, <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be a fair appraisal. I mean, I think when I first started, um, you know, kind of in this indie underground community. So, you know, it's artists who are touring and who are releasing records, but who are not signed to major labels. So you're not likely to see them like on TV or um, or in a Sprite ad. There were a handful of women who were emceeing and who were touring. And then I think there was a drought where there were fewer of them, a lot were retiring. But now it seems like, you know, a lot of the chart toppers are women again. Although you're right, we are outnumbered. Um, but I think that the pressure to sexualize is experienced really differently for women than it is for men. And I've always been really sensitive to that. I think it's a drag. I think it's a really, really big drag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it is. Let's talk about inspiration. When you write, how do you get inspired? Yeah, I mean, I would say that not all, but I would say that most of the material that I write does center on either human relationships, you know, how do you sort out something with someone that you care about, or <laughs> the kind of generalized existential angst of being a mortal creature mm -hmm. in a world in which time and life are passing. So um, that kind of the second category, I think yeah. I've been... I've been worried about mortality since I was like six, you know, and my mom and dad would joke that I was, you know, seven years old going on 40. Um, I was very concerned <laughs> with, with those ideas and, and with philosophical inquiry, you know, what are the rules of engagement and where do they come from? Like, what are they founded on that, that govern like how we ought to treat one another and although I wouldn't have framed it this way when I was a kid, but like, to what extent do we have free will? I would say that some of the songs that have been hardest to write, but I've been very satisfied in doing so, tackle some of that stuff. Because I like trying to do that in casual language. Philosophers do it in a way that is precise and rigorous, but it's like, it uses so many words that are not in common circulation that it makes it kind of a player's game. It's exclusionary. You know, it's like, if you're talking about epistemological phenomenology, then you're only going to have so many people at the table. Because <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? So, of course, I understand that experts need specialized terms. That's true in any field. But I think that philosophy is so fascinating and so um, it's so universe. We, we all have skin in that game. How to treat people well. What does it mean to be alive? How are our rights de derived and how do we define them that like It would be a serious drag if you had to know specialist language to participate in such universal conversations. So yeah, whenever I can like do some of that in a rap song, um, it feels good. Yeah. But mostly they're love songs. <laughs> mostly <laughs> it's like, why doesn't this guy like me back? Or why can't I make this work? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, why are you talking to me that way? Why? You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> why, why aren't you talking to me then? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite song from all the your songs? Mm. From all my songs? Mm -hmm. Um this I think probably my favorite song would change over time just because you're often most excited about whatever's newest. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the uh -huh. freshest one. That's where your you know your enthusiasm is new but um but I would say that I'm very proud of the lyrics to a ballad 
called Annabelle. And I remember making like a flow chart as I was trying to figure out, I really like, that was a very writerly song. You know what I mean? It really ran on the lyrics as opposed to like just on a bang of beat or something. And so I had, I wanted to get the lyrics just right. And I made this complicated flow chart that's like, and if you use this four bar here, then you must later bring back the metaphor in the third verse, like this big chart. And, um, and yeah, when I finally landed that one, I thought, you know what? That's good. <laughs> like I, that might not speak to anyone, but but as far as the objective I had set for myself, I was like, you know what? That one worked. They don't all, but that one really worked. So, have you recorded in any other language? Yeah, I've done. There was a song called Sadie Hawkins that has like just a little. The intro is in Spanish, and I've been thinking about doing that more a little bit. You know, I, I maybe like a lot of kids who are you know come from two ethnic heritages I felt shy because I didn't want to make a mistake because I'm definitely more confident you know confident in English my language skills are much better but I've been thinking more about yeah you know being a little braver and venturing into into that world nice um what's uh what's next for Dessa yeah um so right now I'm just finishing up the season of my podcast which is like a behavioral science program mm -hmm. And it's called Deeply Human, where I interview a lot of researchers. So like psychologists or anthropologists or geneticists or neuroscientists mm -hmm. to focus in on one aspect of human behavior. Like, why do we have deja vu or why do we like symmetrical faces and kind of dig deep, but hopefully with, you know, a lot of laughing and goofing, too. Mm -hmm. And then I'm starting to write songs again. So after you and I are finished. Mm -hmm. I will put a beat in the headphones on repeat and I got to get some lyrics together. Ooh, how do you prepare for that? You, you like to drink something or <laughs> what do you, how do you Sometimes, get in the mood? Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yes. I, cause you know, actually I work, I work best really late at night and I know that a lot of writers are like, I just get up at 5am and I have a cup of coffee and I don't do it, man. It's like, you know, I get up at nine and then I scroll on my stupid phone. It's just like the least disciplined <laughs> craft routine. <laughs> But for me, that feeling of um, being sharp minded and making like new connections between familiar information, which for me is like the heart of metaphor, you know, one thing and you know, another thing, and then you find the bridge between them. Um, that to me happens late at night. Yeah. It's just the way I'm yeah. built, I think. So yeah, sometimes with a glass of wine helps too. Yeah. Yeah. I am like way, that way. Sometimes it's 1 a.m. and I'm in the zone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you so much for saying hi to us here at El Barrio. We wish you lots of success, Dessa, and hope to have you back again. Okay. Thank you, El Barrio. Thank you. And so, thank you so much for the research. Like, so kind to take the time to do some digging. As a, as a fellow interviewer, I know sometimes how rare that is. That's really appreciative. No, no problem. We were very excited to have Dessa chatting with us. I am sure you also had fun listening to that conversation. Now, it's time to enjoy more music from Nicholas Carter. Nick. We are ready for another story. Flowing with the Night. That's a nice title. Flowing with the Night. What do you want the audience to get from this song? You know, the night is a very important part of our existence, right? We're, we have to be balanced between night and day, you know, and night is sort of a great moment to just let go and relax 
it's the darkness, you know, the darkness invites us to a state of going inside, you know, and if we look out into the sky, what we see in the distance is just tiny little stars and maybe the moon is out. It's a magical moment. One of the things that I most enjoyed when I was living in Uruguay in the countryside was actually on a summer day, just laying a sleeping bag outdoors. And this is my grandmother's home in the countryside. And I could just look up into the stars and just even see that Milky Way yeah. kind of like intensity oh, of stars. Yeah. I mean, Beautiful. you don't get to see that as much here near New York City, right? You can't see as many stars, mm -hmm. but it's, it's pretty magical. It was sort of playfully feeling the night. And I kind of took more of a kind of a jazzy feel for this song. Mm -hmm. It's not really Latin American inspired. It's really more inspired in listening to jazz music. I was listening to a jazz piano player when this song popped into my hands. Things just come when they come. You don't really understand why. And then once they've been developed and polished, then you try to connect it to something that maybe you experience that relates to it. That's how the title got to this song, yeah.
Nicholas Carter's music is magic. By the way, you can see, hear, and get to know more about Nick's work through his website, nicholascarter.com. Thank you, Nick, for accepting the invitation to come to El Barrio. Thank you also to Desa for stopping by and saying hola, and to all of you out there for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and family, and please write a review. We love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to follow Teatro del Pueblo and social media. And that's it for today. Remember to come back to Coco's Barrio again. Hasta pronto. Ciao. This gentrification episode of Coco's Barrio was directed and produced by Alberto Justiniano, associate producer Barry Mador, host Silvia Pontaza. The story La Casa del Chisme, a story of gentrification, was written and performed by Teatro del Pueblo's acting troupe, Maria Isabel Gonzalez, Katy Piñero, Silvia Pontaza, Abel Piñero, Yvonne Fries, Al Justiniano, and Juan López. Musical arrangements, Vladimir Garrido. Musical director, Natalia Romero Arbeláez. Musical guest, Nick Carter. Special guest, Dessa. Sound design and mixing, Barry Mador. Social media and marketing, Siri Berry. This show was made possible by contributions from the Knight Foundation, the McKnight Foundation, and the Minnesota State Arts Board. And I am Coco, signing out until next time. Adios! This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board through an appropriation by the Minnesota State Legislature and a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. For more information on Coco's Barrio, visit Teatro del Pueblo Minnesota's Facebook page or our website, www.teatrodelpueblo.org. 